The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now and fast, the risk on rally rolls on. Not even reports of a possible Russian missile strike into NATO territory could keep the markets lower. There was a pop in Walmart, semis, and a lot of names in the EM space. Is it time to fade this rally or stay long? Plus, Meta keeps moving higher. Is new tough talk from the head of the FBI about TikTok, a key driver for the social surge? And later, an activist calling for job cuts at Alphabet, earnings for Target and Lowe's on deck, and Bitcoin getting a bounce, even though another crypto company is reportedly filing for bankruptcy. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Mike Coe. We start off at the wild ride on Wall Street. The Dow climbing as much as 450 points early in the day after another better-than-expected inflation report, but it fell sharply midday after a report that must, a Russian missile struck Poland falling more than 200 points at its lows. At the end of the day, all three major indices managed to close in the green with the Nasdaq leading the way up almost a percent and a half. And take a look at some of the individual movers. Walmart, the worst performer in the Dow yesterday, now the best, rising more than 6% after earnings for its best day since July 2020. And Chinese tech stocks continuing their rally, accounting for uh, uh, four of the top six performers in the Nasdaq 100. So what does today act, today's action tell you about where the markets are heading from here? There seems to be a belief, Tim, that the Fed will be at bay because of this tame PPI number. Well, there seems to be at least some view now that we can say 50 basis points in December. Mm -hmm. and, and based upon the rhetoric that we've had, and even though the rhetoric is, is underscored the fact that these rates will stay for some period, uh, there will not be a cut, that we will ride through multiple periods, uh, and then we'll see where they reassess what core inflation really is. Um, that's where we got today. And we got to a case where at least finished goods, especially as it looks on the inflation side, and we saw this even in goods inflation on CPI last week, really does feel like it's topped. I think the bigger issue is probably on services side. But back to markets, back to some very predictable levels, whether it's the 200-day on the S&P, somewhere around 4075, whether it's the SMH and where semiconductors have gone and traded right up into their 200-day and about a 35% average, excuse me, rally off that CPI floor. Stocks have had a very, very strong berth. And if anything, I was actually fading some strength into these numbers. We'll talk about Walmart. I know we've got Mickey Drexler on to talk retail and everything retail. But to me, as much as I'm bullish on Walmart, you know, I sold 25% of a position based upon both the conversation we had last night and based upon where they gave us a great update in terms of what they're doing on inventory and where they are, I think, in, in terms of their consumer. But there's no question that the guide as we get into next year and for this, and even in Netflix, where I faded a little bit of strength, that's also had a massive move. I think that's what you do in this market. I think you stay nimble. And I think even in core positions that you love, you can trade around a little bit. Did you trade around at all today around your Walmart? No, I didn't. Um, I don't own as much Walmart as I do Target, but I fully agree with you trading around. You know, I've sold some upside GM calls. I've sold some upside URI calls just because they've had enormous runs. 
And I'd feel kind of stupid, actually, if they ended up back where they were three weeks ago in three weeks. And right. then I feel like, all right, that, that was sort of a that was a I should have taken some money off the table. And it's a little easier to do with upside calls. But that's but, your feeling that 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 there will probably be a pullback of some sort. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I don't know when exactly, but I just feel like we've had an enormous run. If you told me three weeks ago this is where we would be uh -huh. on the data we had, which is good, but uh, this is still, this is a very big run. Oh, such pessimism here uh, on the desk. Michael, I mean, a PPI is coming in tamer than expected. What Walmart is saying about the consumer and what it's saying about next year, these are all positive things, aren't there? I mean, isn't there a reason to believe that perhaps the Fed will take its foot off the gas pedal, that perhaps a 10-year yield has already peaked, and so therefore we do have this, this runway for tech stocks, for growthier parts of the market to rally? I, it wouldn't surprise me terribly to hear the Fed take a more moderate uh, tone here. But, you know, the problem, I think, with inflation data is that people are looking at rates of change, you know, in real time rather than just taking a look at the state of the world in price terms. And I think that's where you really are going to see some pressure on consumers. And it's one of the things that actually helped bolster Walmart. You know, the energy complex, you know, whether you're looking at gasoline or net gas and crude, uh, you know, we're looking at, you know, since January of 2020, up about 100 uh, percent. Most agricultural commodities, I'm talking about food, eggs, milk, all of that kind of stuff, pork, beef, we're up anywhere from 30 to 50 percent. Uh, consumers are going to feel the pinch for this. They have not seen wage uh, increases in, in line with that. And that's ultimately going to hurt what has always supported the U.S. economy when things got south, which is the U.S. consumer. They are going to be hurting and, you know, whether we get 50 basis points, 75 basis points or more dovish talk, I don't think that's going to fix the problem. And 4,100, I think, would be a place to fade the S&P. There's only so long, I guess, Steve, that the consumer will continue to dip into their savings in order to offset some of these inflationary pressure. Savings rates have dropped. Um, that nest egg is getting a little bit smaller now. So now what? What do you think? Yeah, so I think I'm going to be the most positive on the desk tonight. Whoa, so if I look at commodities, <laughs> if I look at commodities and I look at oil, if I look at cotton, if I look at lumber, iron ore, orange juice, wheat, did I leave anything out? Yes, heating oil. All of that is either at the low of, of the 52-week range or the middle to the lower part of the 52-week range. That, to me, is something to be hopeful for. That, to me, is something to keep Powell at bay. Now, there's two things that would stop me from being positive going into year end. Powell comes out and says, no way, I'm slowing down, number one. Number two, Putin or geopolitical, geo, uh, geographic uh, headwinds coming in with what we saw today. But, mm -hmm. Melissa, if you look at the S&P range today, if you look at the high, and the low in the S&P, we closed on the screws at the 50% range. So the 50% move was 39.90 in the S&P. We closed at 39.91. That tells me this market wants to go higher regardless of what it sees in front of it. Well, that's sort of what we saw in today's session. We got those reports about missiles going into Poland. Aren't we just one flare up in Russia, Ukraine, one COVID lockdown? I mean, I know you saw this, Tim, riots, protests in Guangzhou. 
because the trajectory yeah. of cases right now, the same sort of trajectory, trajectory that we saw just ahead of the Shanghai lockdowns, we're not that far off there. We're just one lockdown away, potentially, from more supply chain disruptions. Well, we, we, we never poo-poo and under estimate the importance, uh, certainly socially and on the world, of, of some of these geopolitical events. But we do point out the implications of what they mean in terms of market moves and, and the limitations of what they mean. And, and I, I, I would get back to the more, more important dynamics for markets. First of all, look at the way airlines are trading. Look at the way uh, emerging markets are trading after a Xi Jinping and a Biden summit that was at least better than expected. But look at where casinos are trading. And, and I would just get back to the market is seeing through a lot of the geopolitics and trying to understand really where are we both in a recovery from the pandemic and where we're facing recessionary headwinds. I, I would just say and back to a Walmart. And this is how I think about all of it. Walmart's been the beneficiary of higher prices in food inflation. Their, their comps are up 8.2%, but most of that was, was ticket sales, and, and a lot of that's just from inflation. 70% of that came from inflation. I think if everything we're saying is that goods inflation has really peaked, I actually think that that's also something that's going to hurt even a Walmart and some of these retailers that are seeing the ability to pass some of this on and some of these higher prices. So I think as we think about the world, we think about geopolitics, we think about the Fed, the Fed is the most important. The Fed and the dollar, and we've all said this for months, if we've topped on interest rates and we've topped on the dollar, it does give equity some room to yeah. run. But but after a 35% move in semis and after a 30% move in, in, in much of the mega cap tech stocks, as Karen said, you you can love positions and you can trade around them. And this is one of the greatest trading markets of all time. So that has been priced in then. That's that's what the theory is. That I th I think the Fed's we, big moves, that the peak in interest rates, we price that into the markets with the rally we've just seen. We have not seen where the consumer goes. We have not really seen where earnings estimates go. We just know that so far they're actually going down. The fourth quarter earnings estimates are down small. Um, and I think we have to wait for the impact and the headwinds of the consumer on corporate America. Steve Grasso, you're shaking your head. You don't agree. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a tactical position for me. So it's, you know, I'm just going, I think longer term, we, we're going to hit some headwinds. I think Q1, Q2, we're going to hit some headwinds in the overall economy. And you could have recessionary issues uh, taking hold. But for the next month and a half, I think you're going to see a pretty uh, face-ripping rally higher. And we could trade up to 4,400 in the S&P. So everyone's looking at the 200-day moving average as a, as a way to lighten up. And that could be the case. You could have a minor speed bump there. People can get rid of their stocks. And then I think we're going to get back on the horse. And we are going to ride it right into year end. And it's probably going to finish off around 4,400. I think everyone on this desk is going to feel a lot happier about their portfolio. And a lot of the investors are going to feel crazy about their portfolio, being is what they've seen uh, if they looked in the face and how, how poor they felt six months ago. All right. For more on PPI, retail sales tomorrow and more Fed speakers for the rest of the week. Let's bring in CNBC econ uh, senior economic correspondent Steve Leesman. Steve, nice to see you. You've got a lot ahead. Do you think that uh, anybody will be willing to say we've hit peak inflation? We saw it and it's coming down. Now, you could get some positive comments. I, I don't think they'll be quite so uh uh, uh, over the top in that kind of commentary. I am talking to uh, Mary Daly, the San Francisco Fed president, tomorrow at 10. Um, but I, I don't think she's going to say that. I, I, I think that the idea that I've had that these two reports together, CPI and PPI, the Fed can maybe start counting. I don't think it has a definite number it wants to count to. I think you think about three good months and 
maybe by January the Fed could think about being uh, at a place where it might pause for a while to see what's happened to the economy. So I, I think I think you can see a place where the Fed would pause. Um, I think there's some potential upside risk to that if inflation does not behave. I think that number, and by the way, this is not a huge um, a gamble on my part to say this, is somewhere between 45 and 5%. But what's happened with this better-than-expected number, Melissa, is I think the possibility or the probability that the Fed goes above 5 starts to recede. I don't think you have much play on the short end or, or the near the near term part of the curve there. Uh, the idea that the Fed is going to 4.5, I think it's got a date with 4.5. It may have a date with 4.75, but better inflation numbers means that date with 5% is probably off. Steve, it's Karen. So after last month, we had a very hawkish uh, Jerome Powell and a very hawkish everyone else from the Fed. And now there seems to be a, just a little bit of daylight in between the hawks and Lyle Brainerd, I guess. Do you think that that will change more? We'll get more rhetoric from the Fed prior to the next meeting? Yeah, I, I do. But I, I think you want to be a little careful, Karen, not to misinterpret the rhetoric, at least, again, on the short end. That um, uh, different, the differences between Fed officials I see as affecting where they're going to stop, not kind of getting there in, in the interim. I think 50 looks like a pretty good bet for the December meeting. And remember, that's a big rate hike, 50 basis points. I know you're kind of benumbed to it all, but at this point, you know, 50 is still a big number. There might be another 25 on top of that, maybe another 50, uh, another 25 after that. So it may be 100, it may be 75 more. The issue is, do, do they stop, you know, at, at 50 or they stop at 100? I think that's the difference between the Fed officials. Those differences should get a little bit bigger um, after the, 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 when the new year starts. But remember, we used to have hawks and doves on the Fed. That's normal. That's normalization of the situation. Right now, the last several months, it's all been hawks. You know, the question is, you know, who's hawkier than the next? That's just not the case anymore. And I think we're going to start to see these differences start to become more prevalent. That's a new term, hawkier, dovier. Um, so, Steve, now that we can sort of put 5% in the rearview mirror, I mean, as we sort of cross off these, these highs, does the, that window that Powell was talking about for the soft landing, do you think that window gets any bigger? And, you know, I was, I was talking to uh, the former Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin earlier this afternoon um, at a CNBC Tech Council event, and, and he outlined the scenario where he sees a shallow recession, but one that could last a year to 18 months, which seems like a much longer period than what the markets might be currently factoring in. Um, and I'm just wondering how, well, let, uh, how things are shaping up in terms of the economist's view of things. I think what we need to do is a kind of, you know, asset and liability side on this. Okay. Um, on the one hand, we have, we have, long, we, we have low unemployment, and that's really going to help. I think if we get off with an um, unemployment rate that doesn't rise by more than 1%, I think that's a, that, that's a soft landing. That's a shallow time. Now, uh, we also have all of these rate hikes that are going to hit the economy sometime next year. And I think it's also a very important liability for this economy that we don't have uh, a Fed that's going to help. The only way the Fed is going to help is by stopping raising rates. Um, I, I think the market, because it's been so consumed with other issues right now, missed the idea that the, that the uh, G20 is meeting amid concern about a global recession 
And they're not really talking about how to help the global economy. Why? Because their hands are tied with this global inflation problem. So, um, you know, what is that that phrase from Bruce Springsteen? Uh, you know, take a left at the light and go straight into the night and then, boy, you're on your own. Well, that's where the market is right now when it comes to uh, 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 dealing with the uh, any economic downturn. It is not going to get fiscal or monetary policy help. Yeah. Uh, and with divided Congress, it's going to be even harder to push through on that side of things. Uh, Steve, point. Uh, always great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Steve Leisman, CNBC's Thanks. senior Pleasure. economics reporter. Um, Mike Coe, how do you how do you think about this in terms of where the Fed might end up and what that environment will be on the other side? Well, I mean, if history is going to be our guide, what we know is that uh, the Fed has has had challenges in years past when they've tried to tackle inflation. The problem tends to be more persistent. But there are these lulls. I mean, that certainly happened in the Arthur Burns era before uh, Volcker stepped in and got super aggressive. We don't have the same kind of inflation at this point that they had. But I would be surprised if they look, they, they don't want to be overly hawkish. Uh, they don't want to induce a recession. Any excuse they have to essentially moderate the pace of rate increases is, I think, an avenue they're very likely to take. Um, but I suspect that the problem is going to be persistent. And when that happens, we're not going to get sort of uh, the all clear the way I think many people are hoping. All right. Coming up, time could be running out for TikTok, the latest agency that is extremely concerned about the Chinese video app and the social stocks catching a bid on the caution. We got the details next. But first, are more tech layoffs coming? An activist hedge fund calling for cuts at Alphabet. The changes they are looking for next. Fast Money's back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. One activist hedge fund pushing for Alphabet to be the next tech company to cut jobs. TCI Management calling on the Google parent to cut costs aggressively, saying the company would be more efficient with fewer employees, adding that headcount and compensation are too high. The London-based hedge fund said it owns north of $6 billion worth of Alphabet shares, about half a percent of the stock outstanding. Cost per employee is just simply too high, Karen. What do you, do you agree? 
Yes, but I think, you know, hopefully he's not, uh, it won't be falling on deaf ears. I think that they are receptive to that message. I feel like they're actually starting to do that anyway. You know, we've talked for years about Ruth Porat yeah. as being sort of the grown-up in right. the room and, you know, who really, she clarified, made more transparency in the, in the income statement in the different divisions. I think they're totally up for it. Now, it's a bit tilting at windmills, right? TCI, the children's investment, so it's for the kids, you know. <laughs> but I, I, like, I like Alphabet a lot, of course, my biggest position. But I think, you know, you're not going to have any control. You're not going to be able to do anything. They know that, of course. Right. But I think it will be well-received. I think it's already there. Maybe he's just trying to prod them into doing it already. The Waymo part, where he's sort of saying, let's just be done with Waymo, that part, I don't know that they're going to do that. Well, it's interesting. We had an activist or somebody who's trying to be, I don't know if you call him an activist, if you can't really. You can't activate have, anything. Right, exactly. Activate because of the dual class <laughs> right. structure. Um, but also in meta, and, and here they are saying, you know, cost, cut cost, cut cost, cut cost. And they're probably moving in that direction already because of the circumstances. You get to this place with these companies, with Facebook as the extreme example, but Google too, when the core business is so profitable and has continued to, to chug along, and, and you can also make an argument that now is the environment where tech companies uh, are cutting their you know, excess fat and reining in a, a lot of spending when money no longer is free. Um, Google also, like Facebook, but you know, to a extent they are growing along with their multiple. Uh, in other words, the the price to earnings growth, the peg ratio, whatever you want to call, Google's the best buy in town. And so it's not like you can be critical of a company that at the expense of their earnings metrics is, is, is way out of bounds. But, but if you think about it, what are the businesses that Google has really grown in the last few years that, that are notable? It's YouTube. And, and this is a case where I think this was an, an acquisition that was, or, or ultimately was developed, and, and they really brought this thing uh, forward to a place where I actually think that there's a lot more that they could be doing on the digital media side. But I, I don't think there's a lot to fix here. Grasso, in your scenario of a, of a fierce and short rally, does Alphabet do well or another kind of stock? Yes. No, they, I, I think the whole market does well and large cap tech does extremely well. And out of the large cap tech names, Apple has the best performance year to date and, uh, and month to date. But Google is right there. And the catchphrase has been layoffs. I think we've seen about 35,000 or so layoffs announced for just November. So if you haven't laid off any of your employees, you're sort of behind the curve. You're almost, I don't wanna, it's kind of a weird dynamic. You're almost shamed into doing it. Apple has not laid off anyone. I think their line was, we're not laying off anyone, but we're judiciously hiring or, or we're thoughtfully hiring. I think that's the way they put it. So I think that if, if Google actually does this and lays off people, it will be greeted with a rally in the stock price. All right. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. TikTok on the rocks. More officials sounding off on the China-owned video app. What it all could mean for social stocks next. Plus, a Walmart win. Shares surging on the back of strong results. But will the rest of retail follow suit? The warning from an industry expert ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise, 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. TikTok caught in more gridlock after the FBI sounded the alarm on its operations in the U.S. I can't stop watching this video. A director, Christopher Ray, voices concerns to lawmakers this morning. They uh, include the possibility that the Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, uh, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose, or uh, to control software on millions of devices. Shares of competitors Snap and Meta up today following Ray's comments, so should TikTok really be banned. I mean, there is also a proposal for just routing that data through U.S. servers, so that wouldn't be an issue. Karen, you've always talked about this as sort of being the the outlier in terms of the catalyst that could really make a difference for Meta. Yes, I think it could. I mean, I I don't think it's a high probability, Uh but it is getting higher, right? We saw that FCC commissioner where it's right. not it's not under their you know it's not under their authority but to hear these voices multiple ones come out um, it's gone up from no way in hell would that happen to I don't know more. to more than that yeah yeah Mike what's your take <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, we're in an environment right now where I have a feeling that the folks in Washington are going to be more cautious uh, than they might have been a couple of years ago. It's just the, uh, you know, sort of the global state of affairs that we have here. And, uh, you know, I mean, there is obviously huge user demand for TikTok, but uh, I think that we should be concerned about these types of things. And I, you know, if we don't come to some accord where, you know, we onshore basically the technology, uh, I'm kind of, you know, in the camp that we should be doing something to regulate it. I think that is a risk. And, you know, Meta, I mean, it's obviously had a huge rally off the bottom. But if there is no tic-tac talk, <laughs> then I think Snap is definitely uh, is going to be the better bet going forward. So there would be a transition there, I think. Well, tic-tac-toe, I, I, I just I don't think this is Facebook's issue. I, I, you know, I, I look at, first of all, Facebook has rallied 22 percent more than the market over the last eight days. It should have uh, in an environment where the CEO came out and said, I've made some mistakes. We're going to probably cut back on some spending. I, I, I'll read through and say, I think this is a little bit of a of a softer move towards the metaverse. And I think this is everything that the stock wanted to hear. Snap, look, they, they've dumped so much bad news on us. And, and if you think that both these stocks would be rallying in the face of a TikTok announcement, they should be rallying a whole lot more. In other words, they, right. the market was up today. These stocks yeah. kind of went sideways. Um, they've underperformed for so long. I don't think that the market is, is, I don't think Facebook and Snap are reacting to TikTok. And I don't think that they should. And I'll get, a, I'll get away from the, I don't care about, the, I care about the politics. You don't care about my politics at home, so I won't talk about them. I, I just think that the, the reality is with both of those companies, there's different reasons. Snap has issues with how they advertise, where they sit on the funnel. That's why they got so badly beaten by the iOS issues. And in Facebook, they overspent. Talk about a tech company that needs to cut expenses. It's Facebook, not Google. I mean, we've heard this possibility time and time again in terms of the possibility that TikTok could be banned. But now we're hearing about other solutions short of a ban, which does not solve Meta's problems at all. Steve. Yeah, it doesn't solve Meta's problems at all. But but, uh, to Tim's point, these Snap and Meta have been rallying. Snap is up. 18% 18% for the month, but it's been basing since July. So my takeaway is the, the, the longer the base, you know you could finish that statement, the longer the base, this thing looks like it's going to skyrocket to me, at least short term. So I'd be a buyer of Snap on this. 
But I think Karen has mentioned this as well. It's all about eyeballs, right? So Netflix is going to benefit from this as well. And if it's somewhere in the middle of the most onerous to the least, then you know we're going to have to get back to business as it was. But uh, to Mike's original point, to put a bow on it, we're in ve very sensitive. Uh, we're at a very sensitive time. I don't think you're going to see something hyper hi hyper uh, exaggerated in the way we react to TikTok. All right. The longer the base, the higher in space, by the way. Interesting. In case, uh, great. You're not a big fan of Louis Yamada. Louis I don't Yamada. know why you wouldn't be. But uh, anyway, coming up, a big win for Walmart shares jumping after a strong earnings report. But can we expect the same from the rest of retail? Mickey Drexler, the man who ran the Gap in J. Crew in their heyday, is set to tell us what is in store for this sector. His warning for the entire retail industry when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Monday. Let's get another check on the markets today. Stocks closing out in the green. The S&P climbing nearly 1%, while the Nasdaq jumped about 1.5%. The Dow also eked out a small gain, up 56 points, led by Walmart. And that stock rallying almost 7% today after earnings beat street estimates. Walmart seeing a boost from its grocery business and making progress in cutting inventories. The discount retailer also raising its full-year outlook. Rival Target, which reports tomorrow morning, up 4% today. Macy's, Gap, Foot Locker, TJX companies also rising ahead of their reports. But one industry luminary predicts a retail setback, particularly on the apparel side. Mickey Drexler is the former CEO of Gap and J. Crew. He's now the CEO of Alex Mill. He joins us here on set at the NASDAQ. Mickey, welcome. Thank you. Um, so there's a glut of apparel out there right now. Who's going to feel it the most? What kinds of stores? Well, uh, and I only can really talk about apparel. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all over inventory most. Uh, the glut, uh, you can see by the pricing that people have to suffer lower margins, in my opinion, to get rid of the glut, say, as Walmart did today. Uh, we all were a little uh, too ebullient about uh, the third quarter. Uh, in our business, which is a small business, uh, we had a wonderful first half, and it all kind of slowed down in the middle of October. Now, for us, I'm very happy it was cold yesterday because we had the strongest day today on a comparable basis. But uh, there's too much inventory. Uh, there's too much sale. I think Black Friday started this week. Uh, it's incredible when you go online and look at the discounts. Uh, and that gives the customer less trust in regular prices. But I thought that my whole career. Uh, we don't put anything on sale for that reason. Uh, and, you know, we sell off goods when we have them. But we have a little too much inventory also, but we're small. Uh, I think the other issue, well, I don't like to give weather reports, but I love the cold weather, as all retailers I mean, look how do. well you turned out today. It allows you to wear much more fashion. So Well, it's because I'm a guest on CNBC. So um, in any case, uh, and there's a lot of other factors, I think, the world's uncertain. And by the way, this is just my opinions because, you know, Walmart had a well, great day sure. today. Um, you've been through many downturns, many. many pullbacks in the economy. And so I'm wondering how you think this compares to past ones, especially when it comes to this glut in inventory and this in the health of the consumer combined. Well, I think there are a few factors. Uh, and uh, one is that I think the product out there 
in, in my personal opinion, is not as good as it could be. And product is number one, two, and three, along with marketing uh, and merchandising and investment in goods, not in stocks, let's say. Uh, so I think that's a big problem. There's been too much inventory for years, and it's a, it's a chronic illness that we all have, uh, along with too much assortment for years. And uh, that's got to be resolved by merchants who think differently. Uh, the other thing I see, my own personal opinion, is uh, a lot of companies are run by financial uh, people who are all good and well. But uh, you have to get a strong merchandiser uh, and a style person who, uh, and whatever the style is, uh, who understands what products and goods are the right ones. Uh, I think that's a factor. And then there's, you know, 401ks. Everyone has less in their 401k. I'm not an economist, but it's obvious. Savings are down. Uh, and uh, I think that clouds the environment, along with mortgage rates being up right. and inflation. And inflation stares everyone in the face. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about product and it's not as good, who is doing a good job with product, do you think? Well, besides us, besides I don't want Besides you, of course. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't... Uh, well, my friend at Restoration Hardware who worked with me, uh, since he's not in the apparel business, I'll name Gary. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, there's products uh, are in every industry, the car industry, where I can't tell the difference between one car from another. Right. Uh, and, you know, the classics to me in anything have a long life. And, uh, you know, our mission is to have clothes that you can wear forever, which we do from a style and design point of view. But that's practical. Uh, and, you know, uh, style never goes out of fashion, but fashion in itself is a dangerous game. Right. You are our most stylish guest that we've had on set in a long time, Mickey. Um, I wish you could help Tim a little bit. Well, <laughs> can we do a fashion yeah, school? Yeah, yeah. Can we do an upgrade? I'll tell you what, I can't help him with ties, but... I'll help you with casual clothes. Seriously, I, I like to do that. I love what I do. I, I need I need as much help as we can get. Okay, no, but you, you are an icon, and my son needs he, help too. His son is very cool, and he's a and he's got a lot of style. I know he's only eleven, but well, the cool I can I can vouch for. The style yeah, we need I, help. I can so. vouch for that. Thank you. So, Mickey, thank you. It's a thank pleasure. you for having me. Mickey Drexler. Um, who do you think is doing it right? Well, you know, we, Restoration Hardware was brought up. I want to, yeah. one of the, the things that Restoration makes me happy as an investor is they are holding on to price. They've gone out of their way to say we are not promoting. And what Mickey's talking about is a, is a retailer um, that's that's holding on, not promoting themselves. And, and in fact, I think, you know, reading his notes, one of his main points was that retailers are raising prices because they know they're going to have to discount it back. Ah. And, and I think with some of the home improvement and at least some of the, the home furnishing stores, um, that's a really important dynamic at a time when I think we are worried about the demand. Yeah, I mean, the, the point also that Mickey brought up, Mike, was a very good one in terms of Black Friday. I feel like Black Friday started in September. I mean, Black Friday deals pops up on every single app every single day. When is it not Black Friday? Black on <laughs> Probably on Black Friday, maybe, but that's the only day so far. <laughs> I mean, we are all yeah. trained to believe that better prices are just around the corner.
Yeah, I, I think at, at this point, you know, people are doing so much shopping online. I think that has sort of transformed what uh, Black Friday means. Black Monday is probably more important to a lot of consumers, especially after the last couple of years where people weren't actually going out to the stores to do some purchasing. You know, it's interesting that he mentioned uh, restoration hardware. You know, we have a big store near us and they've really tried to make an experience out of it. But for most everything else, things are rapidly getting commoditized. I think that has a lot to do with the quality of product. And, you know, shopping online is a big part of that. You know, if you're just clicking through websites and trying to look for something that might be your size versus actually going to have an experience, I think that's one of the reasons we've seen some degradation on the product side. Yep. Coming up, the latest on the FTX collapse. Former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin weighing in on that, what he had to say about the collapse and its ripple effects when Fast Money returns. And we're charging it to one payment stock that could be ready to surge. We're laying out the bull case on that one in just a few. Welcome back to Fast Money. More fallout today in the wake of FTX's collapse. Crypto lender BlockFi preparing to file for bankruptcy, this according to the Wall Street Journal. BlockFi acknowledged it has, quote, significant exposure to FTX in a blog post yesterday, months after receiving a bailout from the crypto exchange. Today at the CNBC Technology Executive Council, I had a chance to sit down with former Treasury Secretary under President Trump, Steven Mnuchin. I asked him about the crypto landscape and his own dealings with FTX. In particular, FTX, we looked at investing twice and passed both times. Um, but, you know, I do think the underlying technology of blockchain ha has very interesting implications if you separate it from the issue of, you know, an, an asset class. Well, I kept pressing him. He talked a little bit more about his second encounter with the company. I will tell you, the second time we looked at it, it was five times the valuation of the first time. And, uh, you know, we, we were a bit surprised uh, at the overall level of valuations as well. So where do we go from here for Bitcoin and crypto? Um, you know, we talked about a lot of smart investors getting caught up in this. And he made reference to this idea that people get caught up in these founders, in sort of the hype around it, in seeing other successful investors go in. It almost felt like he was referring to, you know, a Theranos situation or a lot of other situations that we have seen in the past where very smart people get caught off guard. They don't do as much due diligence, perhaps, because so many others preceded them. Yeah. Well, there's two different things here. There's FTX, where you left your money and right. thought you were. Sure. And, and FTX, thought, the, the investor. Right. The investing. There's that. So that's just outright fraud, mm -hmm. it seems. And then there's, uh, as an investor in FTX, you know, as a private equity investor, that's a different thing. That's right. sort of what you're talking about, right? That sort of, I mean, he really created quite an extraordinary persona. I love the sleeping in the office, the attire, you know? I mean, he was playing the really? part, right? Do you really love no, it? No, I mean, as, yeah. a, as mm. a, you know, if he had been driving around a Lamborghini, I really think this, people would have been like, wow, we've got to look a little more closely. Right, exactly. Yes. But he's like this guy in a T-shirt who can't even comb his hair. Right. Think, he doesn't oh, he's seem to be care about money. He just seems to care about, you know. Like his the, vision, his strategy. Yes. Yeah. But, but investing really can be clubby and it can be, we oh, talk yeah. about FOMO all the time, and it happens in some of the most sophisticated investor mm -hmm. circles. And there's the clubbiness uh, of this. And investing as a group is what we've seen. We've seen a lot of this out of Silicon Valley. We've seen some of the biggest investors in the world all be involved in the same deals. 13Fs came out two days ago. You get to see how crowded a lot of these trades are. So 
what Secretary Mnuchin pointed out is not that he, he the, the efficacy of blockchain is not in question. Um, the regulation around a lot of these platforms and tokens, frankly, that, you know, we Bitcoin is supposed to be replacing fiat currencies, and yet what was that? I mean, that, that, that is a fiat currency. I mean, the printing presses were running, uh, or at least they were backing up something that was really supporting something supported by nothing. So um, I just think you get to a place where money is free. Uh, right. A lot of these type events tend to be, and, and when, the, when the waves go back out uh, uh, into the ocean, you see what's left on the shore, and there's all kinds of metaphors and analogies. I'll save them. All right, coming up, credit where, where credit is due, the bull case on one payment stock that has our next guest charging in. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our next guest is making the case for a financial services name that he's recently added to his watch list. To explain, let's bring in Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth. He's the firm's executive vice president and financial advisor. Malcolm, what's your number one reason why you like Visa? Yeah, well, simply put, this name is the very definition of uh, uh, quality at a reasonable price, right? There's some companies that have been hit too hard during the broader market sell-off this year, and I see Visa as one of them. I mean, is it the cross-border business that attracts you? Is it the, you know, return of business travel? I mean, what are some of the other sort of catalysts here for the stock right now? Yeah, I mean, I have a working thesis that there are some companies that have sold off uh, quality companies with solid financials that have sold off so much that it's giving us a second chance to buy it. But at pre-pandemic levels, with all of the you know technological improvements and any other upgrades it's made to it pay, to its payments network in the last two plus years, that is Visa. And you know if we just look at the third quarter alone, they transacted nearly three trillion dollars uh, with a capital T worth of payments uh, from you and I. Right, that's their bread and butter. They get paid every time. Uh, you and I tra- make a transaction and swipe our card. Again, it's a very simple uh, business model. And that free cash flow that they reported last last earnings report, something like $18 billion worth, uh, they may decide to use that on buybacks sometime soon. They don't carry much debt, if any at all, and its earnings continue to grow at double digits. And so it just looks to me like a great company, solid financials, that has just gotten beat up and thrown out uh, with the rest of the bathwater, so to speak, simply because the markets have been uh, selling off so indiscriminately. It's Karen. Um, let me clearly a great <laughs> franchise for sure. But do you think do you think the upside comes from an earnings growth story or a multiple expansion or maybe both? I, I think more the earnings growth story. I think uh, you know as we look at consumer spending and we look at the fact that you know folks are spending down their savings a little bit. Folks are talking about pulling back, and we heard Walmart. Uh, talking about folks trading down and those sort of things. But what that means is they're still swiping their cards one way or another, right? Regardless of whether they're doing it through their bank accounts or doing it on credit, Visa is getting paid every single time one of those swipes happen. And travel hasn't gone anywhere. If anything, we've seen it go up. Uh, Spending around the holiday season will probably hold pretty steady. Uh, At least that's the expectation we're, we're told from big box retailers. And so it just seems to me that regardless of what direction uh, and how much they actually, the companies themselves actually earn, Visa is perfectly positioned right there in the middle of it to earn every single time you and I decide uh, we're going to make a transaction. Malcolm, when you look at the economy, the obvious question is if people are going to be spending less and we're heading into either a mild recession or a deeper recession, is this the place, A, that you really want to be in? And then the flip side of the question is, 
when you look at the fintech stocks that have been beaten up so bad, what would you expect those to rally and pop uh, to more of a degree than what I see to be rolling over in the chart of a, a MasterCard and a Visa? Well, I don't know how much I buy that story about us slowing uh, spending because of the, the impending recession, right? I think if we just look at the fact that somebody like a Home Depot, for example, their total sales volume uh, was down 4%, but the average receipt was up something like 9%, right? And we know Visa's uh, take is basically uh, based on the, the size of that check, that swipe. And so if we just look at that and the fact that Home Depot is a company that should have been negatively impacted by the sell-off uh, that's happening in the housing market, yet they're still talking about rising uh, uh, check amounts, even though uh, traffic into the stores and sales volume is down, right? So I think that's evidence that those card swipes are still happening, whether it makes sense to us logically or not, given everything we know about an impending uh, recession or not. But then to your question about fintech, Visa's also uh, recently filed trademarks related to a crypto wallet, which given what we've been talking about with FTX and BlockFi, may, may mean that they end up longer term with a, a whole new set of uh, customers that come in looking for a safer place to hold that crypto. And maybe that's a longer term case from why you might want to hang on to Visa. So I think either way, uh, they're perfectly positioned to be right there in the middle of all of the, tra the transaction activity that's happening without having to choose which one of the retailers mm -hmm. is going to be the winner. Malcolm, great to see you. Thanks. Malcolm Etheridge, CIC. Meantime, Taiwan semi-share soaring after Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway announced a new $4 billion stake in the company. The news sparking a blizzard of bullish options activity in the space. Mike, what'd you see? Uh, we saw more than five times the average daily call volume in Taiwan semi. That's what we got in the busiest contract. Expire at the end of this week, the 85 strike calls. We saw those trading for just under 70 cents. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the rally can continue. And we do have some other semis that are going to be reporting in the coming days and weeks. All right. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Alibaba, this one has been pounded. You just look at the chart, you see it. It was in a declining trend line from October of 2020. Broke out of that, started another declining trend line. This one is a quarter of the value it had at its peak by Alibaba. Mike Coe. Applied Materials reporting on Thursday. It's had a big bump off the bottom. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, well, Connor and I were talking um, a little bit before, and we decided, you know, some of these great names have run up so much, you got to sell some upside calls against them. Lululemon, sell some upside calls. Good advice, Connor. Wow. Connor, by the way, is Tim's son. Tim. Con Connor, so five, what, what do you think we should do here? I think we should fade some Nike. Fade some Nike. I, th you know, I think you're right. It's had a big run. Great company. Let's trim a little. Nike. All right. <laughs> thanks for watching Fast Money. Connor, thanks for joining us. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.